Welcome back to the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex Thayer. Ben, our third basketball podcast for Boots on the Ground. Wake Forest coming off an exhibition win over Alabama, the number 10 Ken Palm team in the nation. Down two starters in Boopy Miller and Abramo Zanka. And then also having out Jao, Ituka, Efton Reed, and Damari Monsanto. I would call it a pretty darn good result for the Wake Forest team and Deacons. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get into a, a deep dive here, but first of all, it's good to be doing one of these podcasts and have some game action to recap. That's always fun. Um, and yeah, after after a long wait, we finally got to see you know some of the new pieces on this team in action, and there is a ton to be excited about. Obviously, the the guard duo of Hunter Salas and Cam Hildreth were fantastic, uh, combining for sixty five points and really just leading the team in basically every facet of the game. Um, but mostly, I was just I was thrilled to watch just the the resilience of this Wake Forest team falling behind by, you know, nearly 20 points in the first half to a very good Alabama team, by the way, who I think will be very successful this year. And then sort of just finding a way to claw at it, come back, you know, remain poised, weather the storm. And then and then once they got the lead in the second half, we're able to to build on the lead and protect it. Yeah, trailing by 13 at the half, as you said, at most 19 in the first half. And then they went into halftime, as I said, down by 13. One of the things that Steve Forbes said after the game in his post-game press conference was that uh, team strength coach Mike Starkey goes into the locker room with the players before all the other coaches go in. They stay outside of the locker room, chat about what's going on in the game, make plans for the second half. After the game, Starkey told Steve Forbes that that was one of, kind of, as you said, Ben, one of the most resilient groups that just took that first half kind of drubbing at the end on the chin were calm, cool, and collected about it and came together to find a way to get themselves back into the game. They didn't freak out. They didn't have, you know, a huge panic. They were resilient and they found a way to come back to win a game. And what do you know? They outscore Alabama by 21 in the second half, a 21, three run to open the half and figuring out a lot of issues in that second half, 11 first half turnovers, only a couple in the second. They were much better rebounding on the boards. Overall, a very, very good second half performance for Wake Forest against what looks to be one of the best teams in the country, was one of the best teams in the country last year. And really, Ben, it it, it was a team effort, but it starts absolutely on the hands of Cam Hildreth and Hunter Salas. Yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, just going through some some numbers generally, you know, Bama goes 20 for 32 in the first half, just an absolute, you know, firecracker of a start second half, just 10 of 33. So, you know, Wake was able to, to weather that storm. Like I said before, you know, find out what was working for them on defense, put some more pressure on the ball for some turnovers. I think Wake scored 29 points off turnovers in that game. Um, obviously a very encouraging thing. The most memorable of which, by the way, was that Hunter Salas steal and throw down on a fast break in the second half. That was a fun one. Um, but yeah, getting into getting into the play of Cam Hildreth and Hunter Salas, um, super exciting for those guys. I'll begin with Cam. Um, for me, just a couple of things I noticed about his game was that his handle on the ball looked a lot tighter. Um, he was great in making moves in transition, you know, playing fast, but still playing under control. Obviously excelled at getting to the free throw line. I believe he finished the game 16 of 19 from the line and, you know, had made some contested layups, was able to make a couple threes, 
really sort of put the team on his back, especially along with Hunter Salas early in the game when none of the rest of the Deeks really had the offense going. Keep in mind that well over 10 minutes of this game passed before someone aside from Hunter Salas or Cameron Hildreth scored a single point. Yeah, it was um, Andrew Carr, actually. I think at the three-minute mark remaining in the first half, he was the first Demon Deacon not named Cam Hildreth or Hunter Salas to get a bucket on the board. So it was like 17-ish minutes of first-half play before someone got on the board other than Cam or Hunter Salas. Yeah, and what I noticed about Cam and Hunter right off the bat is they were just playing with incredible confidence, um, which is something that you'd love to see from, from those guys. And especially a guy like Hunter Salas, who it's his first real game action as a demon Deacon. But I love so much about what Hunter Salas did out there. I thought he shot the three ball very confidently. He went three for eight from, from three, um, you know, was sort of playing his, playing his game, you know, getting up in the face of the opposing guards and defense, but on offense, aside from the three point shooting, what I liked about, Hunter Salas's game is that he was very patient with the ball. He he played under control. He, you know, he has this massive six foot 10 wingspan and really looks like he knows how to use that to advantage in the paint. He gets down near the block area, that eight to 10 foot range and made a, several, you know, high release floating bank shots that are just really hard to guard for opposing teams. Um, I think if throughout the year, if he can stay true to his identity in that way, in addition to shooting the three ball with some confidence, he's going to be a really, really hard player to defend. And, you know, obviously he showed that he put up 27 points on 11 for 20 shooting. That's, you know, that's, that's going to get it done. And against no slouch from an opponent either. Um, like you said, it, I, it took a while for the other demon Deacons to sort of find their, their rhythm on offense. And, you know, obviously when two guys combine for 65, that doesn't leave a ton of room for everybody else to have a massive, you know, statistical night out, but I'll kick it to you here. But I really liked a lot about of, you know, what some of the freshmen did. I liked what Andrew Carr did later into the first half and into the second half. Um, but yeah, the the performance of those two guards together, I thought was very complimentary and you know very promising for this team that that two of its its leaders and and primary weapons came out and started so hot. Yeah, the the word I'll use for both Cam Hildreth and Hunter Salas a little bit more leaning towards Cam is confidence. I think last year one of my biggest gripes with watching Cam Hildreth play is that he would sometimes get himself into what he deemed to be his safe zone, which was backing down under the hoop. And it would oftentimes get him into trouble against Alabama. It was a heavy dosage of dribble drive, get to the hoop, use your body and get the ball up. He did it with both hands too, which I thought was really impressive. There was confidence shooting the three ball, which I didn't think was a, a big part of his game last year. It was certainly a part of his output against Alabama. I think just, it was a complete, change uh, of play for cam hildreth i thought we saw a different basketball player a much more well-rounded basketball player i thought it was just a holistic approach from cam hildreth from as i said the three pointers to the dribble drive just a really impressive performance from cam and then hunter salas as you said too just a, a complete game on offense but also defensively he's just a stud i thought hunter's performance was really good both of them performed better than I was expecting. Cam, just because of what we've seen out of him last year, I didn't expect him to be as prolific of an offensive player against Alabama. And Hunter Salas, just because we didn't know a lot about him yet. You know, we I, I was able to see him in just a few practices in the fall, but getting to see him play a complete game, it was a, a very, very impressive performance. You mentioned Andrew Carr started a little slow, but I, as, 
on both sides of the ball. I thought he was a little slow on offense, and then he got beat a few times underneath on defense. But I think later in the first half and certainly in the second half, he picked it up, looked really good. And I think a lot of that also had to do with what we saw with Wake Forest basketball entering the small ball lineup. So they had Andrew Carr at the five and then had Parker Friedrichson and Marcus Marion, both freshmen, on the court with him as well. I thought all three in that role performed really well. And one of the reasons I'm interested in that small ball lineup, Ben, is because I'm still having some trouble with the traditional bigs for Wake Forest. Zach Keller, another performance that I would deem frustrating, just hasn't seemed like in his time at Wake Forest that he's been able to get it really going. He only played about five minutes in Alabama, against Alabama, so not a whole lot to work with, maybe not a whole lot of time for him to get into the basketball game, but still just I don't know if he's there yet. And then Matthew Marsh again, a little bit of what we saw last year just – defensively a little too slow and then not agile enough on offense. It's that, that in between that just doesn't work on either side. And he didn't play very much in the game. Matthew Marsh got 24 minutes compared to Andrew Carr played well into the thirties. Matthew Marsh was not that he started the game at center, but was not the dominant player out of the big men. Uh, And then one of the big things with, for me with Matthew Marsh was he got beat a lot on the boards especially on the defensive side. There were a few that I thought he really should have had a few that went basically into his hands and just fell out and were offensive rebounds for Alabama. That, that for me was a concern, but overall, I think we saw a lot from, from Andrew Carr. And again, it's an exhibition. So you're just trying to learn things about these players. Good stuff from the freshman Parker Friedrichson was good. 31 minutes. He had two really big threes. He's well behind the line when he's making some some of those threes some freshman mistakes, but I think he's going to be a factor for Wake Forest basketball this year, especially as a specialist when you need a three, kind of like what Damari was early on his in his career with the Deeks. When you need a th- three, I think Parker might be that guy. And, and Marcus Marion, 16 minutes, three for five from the field. And he had two really good offensive rebounds that I remember. So I think there was a lot of promise from players that were able to go against Alabama. And when you re- you think about it, no Boopy and no Abrama Zonka either. So a lot to learn, but there were guys that we didn't even get to learn about against Alabama. Yeah. Um, I'll touch a little bit on, on Andrew Carr's performance first. I thought, you know, he didn't have his best off offense, best stuff offensively three for eight from the field, but what he did do was have four blocks, which is an element of his game that we did not see in as, you know, as, as big of, a sample size last year. We didn't see that that rim protection coming out. I thought Andrew Carr played with a lot of toughness on defense. He also grabbed 10 rebounds. Um, so to see him play, I know he's put on some weight. He definitely looked bigger out there. Um, to see him play with that sort of grit and toughness is, is also is very encouraging. I agree with Zach Keller. It just doesn't look like he's quite there yet. He just only played five minutes, didn't look super comfortable, did not really make a statistical impact on the game. Um, and I think it says a lot that even in this exhibition, Parker Friedrichson played 31 minutes. And to be fair, you know, they changed the rules of the exhibition, which I think was a good move because Wake only had eight scholarship players available. But Parker Friedrichson would have fouled out, would would have fouled out of this game in the second half. Um, but they because it was an exhibition, both teams agreed to have nobody foul out. 
But one thing I think to note about Parker Friedrichson, even more than the shooting, which I thought was encouraging, I love that he was stepping up and attempted seven three-pointers. He had the highest plus-minus on the team in this game. He was a plus-17 in 31 minutes on the court as a true freshman, playing against a top-25 team in the country and a top-10 Ken Palm team in the country. That, to me, is playing with a lot more poise than you might expect out of a true freshman and playing with a lot more confidence out there than you might expect and finding a way to have an impact on the game, a positive impact on the game, even when you're not drilling threes at a, at a ridiculous rate. He had a couple of big ones for sure, but he did go two for seven. So that was super encouraging to me. On to Marcus Marion, I I think he has the potential to be a very productive college player just based on, you know, he has he has a body that's built for ACC basketball. He's he's big. He uses his body well. I thought, you know, he went three for five from the field, six points, um, played 16 minutes. To me, that's, you know, that's being effective and carving out your role in this offense in a game where the guards were, you know, so, so ball dominant, scoring so well, you know, the offense is running through them. I thought he looked really smooth at times, getting to his spots in the intermediate range. You know, he you know, scoring under the basket. He had a couple of little mid-range floaters, I remember. Um, so a lot to be encouraged about for those guys. But yeah, the the play of Zach Keller and Matthew March, Marsh was not as consistent as you would like it to be from your, you know, your returning guys. One of the things about Matthew Marsh is sometimes it just seems like he gets in the right position and then just can't make that final play of, you know, grabbing the ball, you know, bring it in, bring it down. And he just ends up getting beat. And that happened, especially a couple of times early on when Wake was really struggling to rebound. I think over 10 minutes into the game, Wake only had four team rebounds, which seems improbable to do that. But they were really struggling on the boards in the first half. And that just made it very clear to me that this team does need Efton Reed on the glass, could really use Efton Reed on the glass. They found a way to be effective on the boards in the second half, which I thought was promising. But um, you would definitely like to see more out of those returning true big men, I think. Yeah, uh, Matthew Marsh. It, it, some of it, you know, we saw it last year too, as you said, kind of there, like in position, but the plays were just incomplete. I think Matthew Marsh was incomplete on the boards. He was incomplete on offense. I think only one or two from the field. It was kind of a, almost an invisible game for Matthew Marsh playing 24 minutes, but it felt like he was a non-factor on the court and seeing Steve Forbes go to that small ball lineup and seeing that small ball lineup be successful. I talked with him about it after the game and he said, that's certainly something to expect that we see a lot this year. You know, I, I'm interested to see what Matthew Marsh does for Wake Forest this year, especially if Efton Reed gets his waiver accepted. Then that him being a factor becomes much smaller, but even if Efton isn't part of this year's Wake Forest Demon Deacons team, I, I just don't know where I am with Matthew Marsh yet. You know, it's early. It was an exhibition. You can come up with all these, these ideas, the, these realities about the team from an, from an exhibition game, and they can all prove to be untrue. So, you know, there's a lot of takeaways, but we don't know anything yet. Really. We don't know anything yet, but Matthew Marsh, I think is just a concern. And I think the small ball lineup is going to be a big factor talking about factors, Parker Friedrichson and Marcus Marion, I think are, are both going to be factors for Wake Forest this year. Parker, as again, as I said, that, that specialist type guard, and if Wake Forest doesn't have Efton Reed, I think Marcus Marion is going to 
see a lot of playing time on the court. I think he's got that prototypical size. He's a gritty player. I mean, those two offensive rebounds were huge. And he seems to be a good shooter from the field. So I think there are freshmen this year who are going to play ball for Wake Forest. Yeah, I think Steve Forbes made that abundantly clear by giving those guys a lot of run in this very meaningful exhibition. Exhibition. Um, yeah, I think going back to Matthew Marsh, I honestly think the role that brings out his best is if he can come off the bench and be an energy guy and catch lobs and you know play above the rim and do the things that he does really well. Um, I think he would actually complement very well with Afton Reed in that way, if Afton Reed were to get his waiver. But like you said, you know, it's been one exhibition game and we've, you know, what we saw from Zach Keller and Matthew Marsh wasn't great. Obviously season's incredibly young, you know, guys develop, guys can, can figure it out. But I do think we got a sense of what Steve Forbes is looking to do with this team right now, which is, you know, you've got, you've got a little bit, a little bit of size at guard with Hunter Salas, who can, who can maybe rebound the ball a little bit, the guard position. Andrew Carr looks to be playing a more, a little bit more physical brand of basketball this year. So going to that, and then you have Marcus Marion who, you know, gives you good size as well. So going to that, that small ball lineup was by far Wake's most effective approach, especially in the second half. That was, that was really what they went to in crunch time when they were building and holding that lead and going on eventually to win by eight points was that small ball lineup. So, um, it's uh, it was it was an exciting, fast-paced scrimmage to watch. I thought for for an exhibition game, it was very high-quality basketball from both teams. Um, eighty-eight to eighty is you know that's both teams you know putting it in the hoop offensively. There, it didn't seem like either team was particularly rusty from the field. I mean, for God's sake, Alabama went twenty for thirty-two in the first half, and you know Wake finished the game at around 47 percent shooting, and um, so a, a very a high caliber basketball game is what it appeared to me. Um, Alabama's got some guys that can really shoot it. They got some really good size. And I do think that they're going to have a lot of success in the sec and beyond this year, but a great test for wake forest and really encouraging, especially to see some of the young guys not shy away from the big moment. Parker Friedrichson looked a little shaky when he first got out there. I think he airballed his first shot, but you know, that's, that's an, as, you know, an 18 or 19 year old kid going out there and playing this first game in front of, you know, a real live crowd. But I thought he adjusted very well and found a way to, to he played very well. I thought with the guys around him made good decisions, passing the ball. Um, and yeah, it was able, was able to knock down some big threes in the second half. And I, I agree. I think him and Marcus Marion will both be important pieces for this team this year. Now looking ahead to wake Forest's first real opponent of the 2023, 2022, 2023-2024 season, the Elon Phoenix coming to the LJVM. Uh, not a great year last season for Elon. Eight eight wins, 24 losses, 6-12 and 12 in their conference. They lost to NC State by 11, Delaware by 5, lost in the first round of the conference tournament. They also recently played an exhibition against a school called William Peace. No offense to William Peace, but I have never heard of that school beat them 98-68. None of the starters shot well for Elon, but their sixth man, grad guard Zach Irvin, shot the lights out 7 of 11 from the field, 6 of 10 from 3, 22 points. Of their 98 points in the exhibition, 64 came from the bench. There were lots of be- lots of bench play in the game. I'm not sure if that's just part of that team's complexion for the year or if that was more about it being an exhibition, they had 46 points in the paint 
And Ben, one of the more interesting things about the Elon Phoenix this year, as they match up against a team like Wake Forest, that has a lot of height. Their tallest starter is six feet, eight inches. So purely matching up against Wake Forest, the height advantage is going to go to the Deeks. And I think it's going to be, it's going to behoove Wake Forest to, to look into that small ball potentially a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what Wake does there. Two returning starters, two freshmen, one grad transfer was the starting lineup that the Phoenix put out against William Peace. So not a great team last year, Ben, for Elon. Not sure really what they're going to look like this year. What are you looking for Wake Forest to get out of the season opener against Elon at the Joel Monday night? Um, the What I'm looking to see out of Wake Forest is, like you said, Elon gives up a lot of size in their starting lineup. So this is an opportunity for Wake to show that they can control the glass for a game. And I think that would be the primary, because I think if they control the glass, they control the game, essentially. Um, you know, Elon put up 98 points against William Peace. But like you said, I also have never heard of William Peace. So my the biggest thing I'm looking for out of Wake Forest is to, even with that small ball lineup, even with, you know, Andrew Carr maybe being the tallest guy on the court, um, controlling the glass, not giving up second chance points, because th- those are some of the things that can, if you're playing against a scrappier team, you know, a team that isn't maybe in the same talent level as you, the way they can hurt you is if they, they play with more grit determination, hit the boards harder. So I'm going to be looking for Wake to do those, those small things right. And, you know, I can't speak to the quality of the Elon team yet. Like you said, they weren't very strong last year. They clearly had things going a little bit offensively against William Peace, but um, you look for Wake Forest to come out and if they play that same brand of basketball that they played against Alabama, you know, you look for them to control this game essentially from start to finish um, to not, to not let Elon stick around to get out there let your guards do what they were doing, um, get to the foul line, kick it around, do, you know, play, play fast tempo. And then we, we haven't touched on how Wake played on defense a ton yet, but what, what I would really like to do is Steve Forbes teased a two, two, one full court press um, some against Alabama and debuted a lot of trapping in the corners and, you know, aggressive, aggressive um, maneuvers to try to, you know, generate turnovers. I would like to see them do a lot of that as well, especially, you know, against a team like Elon, who's not maybe, you know, in the same talent level, you know, competitiveness as some of the other teams, some of the other non-conference games Wake will have. So I look for Wake to start this game fast, start this game aggressive, get the ball to your weapons. You know, if you're Cam Hildreth and Hunter Salas, take it to the hoop. Um, you know, do do all the things you were doing well against Alabama and and just and see where you end up after 40 minutes. Yeah, I agree with you, Ben. I think against Alabama, we saw Wake Forest basketball, especially in 20, for the 2023-2024 season, begin to develop an identity. And for Steve Forbes as a head coach, that's always been gritty, grimy, tough together. And I think we saw a lot of gritty offensive play from both Hunter Salas cam hildreth and others but you mentioned the defense i think this team is going to be a lot better defensively than we've seen in years past and overall just as a team not even x's and o's or performance on offense and defense i think this team is starting to really put together a personality that identity as i said they are a gritty team they are going to get down into the trenches with you and battle out like wake forest went down by 19 against alabama they were down at 13 at the half and they just did not give up. They battled their way back into the game. They were, they really, they they were grimy. They were gritty, grimy, tough together. They fought for that win and they earned it. 
And so I think that is something that I want to see against a team like Elon. Elon, most likely competition-wise, is not even remotely going to mirror what Wake Forest saw against Alabama, probably not going to mirror the kind of teams that they see early this season, teams like Georgia, Florida, Rutgers. But I think this is a very good game for Wake Forest to continue the type of play they saw on Sunday against the Crimson Tide and put it up against a team that is not as good and kind of see what that result looks like and not play down to an opponent. Play like the team that they want to be, which is an NCAA tournament team. And so if they can have that same identity we saw on Sunday, on Monday night, then I think it's going to be a very, very good game for Wake Forest. And I think they're going to continue to learn more things about themselves as a team. Looking ahead to Monday night against Elon, one of the things that I wanted to talk about before we close out the podcast here is the starting lineup for Wake Forest. Here's where I think the Deeks will go. So at guard, Boopy Miller, Cam Hildreth, Hunter Salas. And then here's where I'm going to shake it up a little bit. I think they're going to go two forwards. It's going to be Abramo Zonka and Andrew Carr. I think Wake Forest is going to go with a small lineup simply because of the opponent they're playing, a team in Elon. But I also think Steve Forbes went to that small ball lineup a lot against Alabama and saw positive performance out of it. And I think there are question marks about Matthew Marsh. Maybe there's more question marks externally from people like us than there are internally from guys like Steve Forbes, but I have questions. I have questions about the big man play right now for Wake Forest. I think the small ball lineup might work for Wake Forest and it certainly might work even more against a team like Elon. So I'm not going to stand here and say that, Matthew Marsh is not going to start any games this season, but I think maybe against Elon, it might be Andrew Carr at the five, and then we see something different going forward. But that's what I'm going to go with starting lineup for Monday night. I'll kick it to you, Ben. Yeah, I, I've i gone back and forth on this one. I won't I won't speculate as to what Steve Steve Forbes is thinking, what he's going to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to differ from you slightly. I agree. I think in four out of the five spots, I think it's pretty clear. I think Boopy Miller will get the start. Obviously Cam Hildreth and Hunter Salas will be out there. And then Carr, I think is a guaranteed start as well. But I think for the first game of the year, I think Steve Forbes is going to lean towards experience. And I think it might've been different if Abramo Zonka was able to play in the exhibition. Unfortunately, he was able to, he had to sit out. Um, so I think Matthew Marsh will, my guess is he gets the start in the first game and, you know, Steve Forbes has no problems riding bench players late into the game. If, you know, he's going to put he's going to put the lineup out there that is, you know, being the most effective and succeeding the most. So I foresee Matt Marsh getting the start. Um, I don't necessarily foresee him getting a lot of minutes in the second half. I would expect Forbes to go to Zonka and maybe even some of the freshmen later on in the game, depending of, of how the complexion of this game goes. But um, as far as starting lineups go, I, I think Matthew Marsh will probably be out there. I think that's a good point, Ben. I, I could see a Matthew Marsh start. He started against Alabama. I could see him start and then kind of get shuttled out early, like what Steve Forbes against at Alabama. Matthew Marsh started, only played 24 minutes, went pretty quickly to the small ball lineup. I will give you that. I, I'm i not going to specula- speculate, as you said, about what Steve Forbes is going to do. I'm not going to try and pretend like I'm Steve Forbes, kind of more what I'm thinking about this team and, and the way they line up. But I, I, I do agree with you that I, I think you might be more right on this one than I'm going to be. I I would like to see the lineup that I said. I think I'd like to see Andrew Carr start at the five at this game. But I I think you're right. I think they are going to run that that lineup with Matthew Marsh at the five, Andrew Carr at the four, and then the guards being the guards. 
I think you're right on that, but it's not necessarily what I'd like to see. But there is that trust factor. Matthew Marsh has been in the program. You want to give that guy a shot. It's not like he's had all terrible moments. I don't want to completely steamroll on Matthew Marsh and and treat him like he's a, a bad player. He is a good player. He's got a lot of skills. But there have been some some moments and some particular performances that leave me questioning his role a little bit. And I think that's why you went and got a guy like Efton Reed in the transfer portal. Going into Efton Reed, Ben, I know we wanted to make a small point on this. Apparently, nothing has changed with Efton Reed in terms of the transfer portal waiver. There had been some rumblings on Twitter today as we filmed this on Wednesday night from Trilly Donovan that Efton Reed had had his waiver denied. I have not heard anything along those lines from the program from Wake Forest. Take that with a grain of salt. I think we would hear something if that were the case. So right now I'm going to continue to operate like the NCAA has not made a decision on Efton Reed, but we haven't heard anything yet. So I'd say his status is certainly up in air for Monday night against Elon. I, I It would have to be a pretty wild snap decision for that to come in in the next few days and for him to go on Monday night. He's been practicing Wake Forest released videos of practice on Twitter today and Efton Reed was in them, but the situation just blows my mind. Yeah. I, the biggest thing, you know, you hear, you look on Twitter every day, essentially and you hear a different rumbling about what the outcome of this whole situation is going to be. The biggest thing I'm wondering, honestly, is just what the holdup is on the NCAA's part, because there's been other similar cases that have been ruled on recently. We covered it when we had Christian O'Jackson on the pod last time around. There are other similar rulings that are getting, you know, decided. And if the, you know, if the ruling doesn't go in the team's favor, they're getting a chance to get into that appeal process. So it does make me wonder when the hammer is going to come down one way or the other. Um, obviously, Steve Forbes and and staff are having to operate with a massive question mark hanging over personnel and and the identity of this team because you know Steve Forbes has come out and said that Efton Reed can be a difference maker for this team and you know after having watched the Alabama game with how much they struggled on the boards at times having that amount of size and skill coming in to play the five I think would be a massive benefit to this team so I know I know nobody's itching to find out more than than Steve Forbes obviously. We have not heard anything substantial one way or the other, as you said. Um, we'll obviously be, you know, keeping an ear out for that in the coming days. But yeah, it's just a just a frustrating situation, I'm sure, for all parties involved. Yeah, right or wrong, and in in this case, I believe incredibly incorrect. The NCAA is going to do what it wants to do until someone tells them they can't do it, uh, until a government body essentially steps in and says no we are going to call the shots on this now, which we kind of saw a little bit with some, some government intervention from other states. Uh, so, but long story short, we don't know anything about Efton Reed yet. We have no clue what it's going to look like for Monday or, or for the season going forward. You'll certainly hear about it from the Wake Forest media folks whenever they get a, a word on it. But until then, Wake Forest is going to operate with what they've got. And I think it's a really good lineup and we'll see what they, you know, when it, when it all comes down to it, playing against another team in a real game Monday night, Wake Forest versus Elon at the Joel tipping off the 2023, 2024 season. 
tomorrow, Ben, at when this pod comes out, it'll already be tomorrow. This will come out Thursday morning, but Thursday evening, Wake Forest football, making the trip over to Durham. Both of us will be there to watch Wake Forest play the Duke Blue Devils. Certainly a big game for Wake Forest in their their quest to get back to an eighth straight bowl game. If you want to listen to our podcast about how Wake Forest played against Florida State and previewing their game for Thursday night, you can go find our episode that debuted on Tuesday morning. And then we will certainly have a basketball episode to update what went down against Elon and prepare for the Demon Deacons trip to Athens to play the Georgia Bulldogs. That'll be all for us now on the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I've been Essex there. See you soon.